0: I believe our brother uh, Paul Topping is with us this morning, so if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. If I were to say to you that I know a person that has a real attitude, what connotation would that bring to mind? They have a real attitude. Well, in our vernacular, oftentimes that means to be proud, to be arrogant, uh, to be self-sufficient, not very teachable, uh, aloof, distant. Give them some space. But in the Word of God, we find that there is an attitude that we are to have, but it certainly is not that kind of attitude. It's an attitude that is quite different. We live in a world where success is measured by achievement and position. And people love all the trappings that go with that achievement and position. Uh, The lifestyle that goes in the uh, honor that is bestowed by being a success. We're now in a passage that exhorts us to live our lives, not for self-aggrandizement, but rather for the benefit of others, to the honor and glory of God. If you look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, we see that there are a number of exhortations. In Philippians 2, it says, if there, For there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the personal interests of others. There are two contrasting mindsets that we can have. One mindset is selfish. selfish. The other mindset is selfless. The one mindset is to be self-oriented. And the other mindset is to be other-oriented. Jesus provides us with the supreme and perfect example of the kind of mind or attitude that we should possess. A selfless, other-centered lifestyle. And so the Philippians are encouraged to adopt the example that Jesus sets. So the key verse is Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. The kind of attitude that Jesus possessed and displayed. So, the obvious question is, well, what kind of attitude did he have, and how did he display it? The theme is that the whole of Christ's life is characterized not by selfish ambition, but rather a selflessness. Christ came into this world and lived his life for the sole benefit of others, to the honor and glory of God. So, as we look at how that is fleshed out in the scripture... The first thing that we notice is that Jesus had a servant attitude. Jesus had a servant attitude and so should we. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Who, referring to Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Now as we unpack those two verses. We note that first of all that Jesus Christ. Who was the pre-incarnate word. Had an exalted position in his pre-incarnated, pre-incarnated state. Philippians 2.6. He existed in the form of God. He existed in the form of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1.14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But that glory that the Son of God had in the pre-incarnate state was truly amazing. In John 17.5, Jesus prays these words. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, that the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That that glory that he had before the world was, would be restored. As the Son of God, Christ did not aspire to greatness. He possessed greatness. There was nothing that he would have been able to aspire to. There would have been no greater experience that he could have hoped for. He existed, our text says, in the form of God. He existed in the form of God. Meaning that he had all the rights, privileges, prerogatives that are associated With being God. But Christ did not use his exalted position selfishly. If you notice in verse 2, it says, Who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And here the idea of equality is a sameness of position, of right, of honor. Of privilege. Here, it tells us that the Son of God did not think that that position was such that he had to hold on to it tight-fistedly. You you think of a little child, a, a toddler, who has this toy that they love and they don't want to give it up. They don't want to share And as another toddler comes in view and starts moving over with the thought of taking it out of their hand, they grab it more tightly. And they're going to hold on to it and they're not going to give it up. They're not going to share it. They're going to keep it for themselves. That's the image that Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Son of God, did not think equality with God was such a thing that he had to hold on to it at all costs. That he grasped the privileges associated with deity to such a degree that he wasn't willing to give it up. That he wasn't willing to relent it. Here, we have Jesus being the supreme and ultimate example of what mankind should be like. In Adam, unfortunately, we have the example of what mankind should not be like. It starts with Lucifer, Satan. And Satan had an aspiration. Satan wanted to be like God. That was the basis of his fall. In Isaiah 14, it says, How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That was the ambition of the evil one. He wanted to make himself like the Most High. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be treated like God. He wanted to be worshipped like God. He wanted to have the privileges like God. He wanted it all. And then he tempted mankind with that very same ambition. When God created Adam, he told Adam that he may eat from every tree of the the garden except for one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. But Satan came and tested uh, and tempted uh, Adam and Eve by saying, you will not surely die. But God knows that the day that you eat thereof, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. He said to Adam and Eve, you have the opportunity to be like God. You have the opportunity to raise yourself up. To aspire to something far greater. You can be just like God. And He has forbidden you from eating of this tree. Because He doesn't want you to be like Him. He doesn't want you to experience the blessedness that He enjoys. So, mankind desperately wants... To be like God and God, on the other hand, does not see the trappings that are associated with his deity to be held on to at all costs. Notice Jesus Christ had a uh, humble attitude. A humble attitude. For he not only was a servant, but he was a humble and obedient servant. Philippians 2.8. And so, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So God the Father humbled himself in excuse me, not God the Father, God the Son, humbled himself in becoming a man and taking on the lowliness, the, the trappings, if you will, that are associated with humanity, associated with humanity. Jesus Christ divested himself of the privileges associated with deity. look at verse seven, but emptied himself. NIV translates that made himself like nothing. He gave up all that he enjoyed in that glorious preincarnate state. Second Corinthians eight nine puts it this way: For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Now when it says that, it, we're, we're not talking just simply about physical prosperity. We're talking about the fact that he left glory so that we could share in that glory. That we could experience the very things that the pre-incarnate Son of God experienced for all eternity. He wanted us to enjoy the very presence of God in its absolute Fullness. Satan could have not been more wrong it wasn't that God didn't want mankind to be like him Jesus Christ who was Lord of all became a lowly servant by taking on humanity verse 7 but emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant he was a servant to the father Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7 says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the world of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. The Father was not satisfied. With the sacrifices of bulls and goats. And so the Son of God came into this world. In order to fulfill the will of the Father. And that means taking on a body. Taking on humanity. To die in our place. And so Jesus Christ who existed as God. Took upon himself the position of a servant. By taking on humanity. Verse 7. Being made in the likeness of of man. Being made in the likeness of man. Jesus told his disciples the kind of attitude that they should display. And in Matthew chapter 20, it says that Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord, lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give himself a ransom from it. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was willing to give up a position of being served in order to To serve. In order to serve. Application. We are to have that attitude. We are willing. We are to be willing to give up. A mindset. That wants to be served. And replace it. With a mindset. That is willing to serve others. We are to use our position. Whatever the position is. Whatever authority we enjoy. In whatever context, we are placed over other people. We are always to use that position, that authority, for their betterment and for their protection. We're going to look more tonight at what the Word of God says about the first Adam and the second Adam. But in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, Adam is created in the image of God. And part of that image that he is created in is... To have dominion over all creation. And in that dominion over all creation, he is entrusted with two responsibilities. He is to cultivate and to keep it. To cultivate it, he is to expand it. He is to improve upon it. He is to cause it to be fruitful. So Adam is to be creative in the way in which he watches over. This earth, And in being creative, in the way in which he watches over this earth, he is going to reflect the glory of God in God's own creativity. And secondly, then, he's to keep it, preserve it, watch over it, so that no harm comes to it. And of course, by his sin, he does just the other. He ruins this creation. He brings upon it a curse, and there are thistles and thorns and all kinds of problems today that exist, because... He did not keep it. He did not preserve it. But you see, Jesus came in order to totally reverse that whole situation. And so he came with a servant attitude. But not only did he come with a servant attitude, he came with a humble attitude that manifested itself in obedience. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So we see that there's a twofold humiliation that takes place. An incredible humiliation, if you will. The first is mind-boggling because it is of such a degree that we can't explain it. And that is of God taking on humanity. In adding to his deity, he becomes a human being. That is mind-boggling and there is absolutely no comparison we can make. None. For it is the Creator... Taking on a position like a created man. There is no comparison. Some might say it's like a human being becoming an ant, except that's not far enough apart because ants and human beings are both, both created. There's a wide difference between an ant and a human being, but not wide enough. It's not anywhere near the distance. Between God becoming a man. So that's mind-boggling enough. But now we find out in this text. That as a man. He humbled himself. As a man. He humbled himself. Notice verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. The way in which. As a man he humbled himself. Is that he. Placed himself even in his manhood, at the lowest ebb of the human experience. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And even in his humanity, he wasn't served. Even in his humanity, he wasn't exalted. Even in his humanity, he didn't live in a palace. He didn't exercise this tremendous... Authority over other people in a way that was self-aggrandizing? Not at all. In fact, Jesus describes his existence in this way. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Sometimes we talk about the creature comforts. Jesus didn't know the creature comforts. He says, foxes have it better off than I do. Birds of the air have it better off than I do. He lived his life in such a way that as a human being, he humbled himself. And that humility is best seen and described in his obedience. Look at Philippians 2.8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. By becoming obedient. He was certainly obedient to the Father. Doing all that the Father willed of him. And so that he was without sin. But not only was he obedient to his heavenly Father. He was also obedient to his earthly parents. Listen to Luke 2.51. Referring to the time when he is in the temple. At 12 years of age. And then he goes down to be with his parents. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Was obedient to them. The Son of God, taking on humanity, and then as a human being, the God-man, humbling himself to be obedient to earthly parents. I don't know, young person, if you ever thought, that you knew more than your parents. Maybe you're tempted to think, well, I know more than they do. Why should I listen to them? If there was anyone that ever knew more than his parents, it was Jesus. And yet he was obedient to them. Have you ever been disciplined unfairly? Have you ever been corrected in a way that wasn't appropriate? If there is anyone that ever knew what it meant to be corrected In a manner that was inappropriate, it was Jesus. And yet, he humbled himself to be obedient. To be obedient. And that obedience that Jesus manifested extended to the point of a willingness to die. Notice verse 8. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. There was no ending of his obedience. There was no line drawn in the sand. It was nothing that was too great for God the Father to ask of him. He would do the Father's will. And of course, we have that incredible prayer that's offered in the Garden of Gethsemane in which Jesus prays and says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible. If there is any other way other than My having to die, may it come to pass. But, if not, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I'm ready to die. I am ready to die. And with that willingness to die, he submitted to God the Father, but he also submitted to Pilate, He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be mocked. He allowed himself to be scourged. For we find in this passage that not only did he humble himself to the point of obedience, the point of death, but also the humiliating death of the cross. Notice verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And now these words, even the death of the cross. There was no more difficult death than one could experience, than the death of the cross. But in all the things that are associated with the cross, that which we are to have focused in our minds this morning is the humiliation of the cross. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And then these next words, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the one who deserved every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he was Lord to the glory of God the Father. The one that deserved... All hail. The one who deserved all thankfulness. All blessing to be bestowed, An incredible indebtedness. And to receive nothing but mockery. And hatred. To be spit upon. You couldn't even touch. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament without dying. And yet they are wrapping Jesus in his face. And they're pulling out his beard. And we don't even want to think about Jesus' humiliation. We really don't want to reflect on all that Jesus went through. Because there is no picture of Jesus' death that is anywhere near accurate to the description of the Old Testament and the experience that he had. Certainly, we have these pictures of Jesus hanging on a cross. We have crucifixes. But the Old Testament says that that he was marred beyond appearance. He was so beaten and bruised that the word of that means he didn't even look human anymore. He looked like a piece of meat. He was so swollen. He, He was hideous to look at as a result of all that he went through. And he was mocked, yes. And he was shamed, yes. And the next thing that we never see in a picture is that he hung naked on that cross. Exposed to all the world to see. Think about that. We don't want to think about it. That's why you never see a picture of Jesus hanging naked, I'll tell you. Because we don't want to think about those things. But the point is he did. And he despised that shame. And the Son of God was willing to endure. Even to the point of death. Death on the cross. Jesus Christ died. A humble death in order to obtain salvation of mankind. Notice Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Certainly Jesus did not. He did not hold these things to be something to be grasped. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, if there's ever an example of that, it is Jesus. Who looked out not for his own well-being, but the well-being of others. Who put the concerns of others before his own. He is the perfect example of all that Philippians 2 is exhorting us to. And then thirdly, Jesus Christ had an attitude that brought glory to God and to himself and so should we. Through the mindset that Jesus consistently displayed, he brought glory to God. As a result of all that Jesus went through, God gives Jesus Christ a supreme position because of his humble obedience. Look at two nine. Therefore, therefore, also God highly exalted him. This exaltation is in, his, is in his human form. It is the exhortation of Jesus Christ. It is at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. It's an exaltation of him as the second Adam. He is raised to this incredibly high position. Why? Because he was worthy of it. Because he displayed in his character a true reflection of the image and glory of God. He showed us what God is really like. Because God actually became, in addition, a human being to show to us what he is like. Listen to these words of Hebrews chapter 2. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that thou remindest him? Or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. And hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus. These words, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. The word of God tells us specifically the reason that he is raised to this Place of honor and glory is because he suffered death in this way. The nature of that supreme position is described in verse 9. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. So he goes to the lowest state of mankind, to the highest state. Of mankind. God exalts him. The recognition of that supreme position is described. Verse 10. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. The extent of that supreme position is described. Verse 10. That every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth. He is raised to a position for a little while. The scripture says lower than the angels. He's raised to a position higher than the angels. Higher than any other created being. And the reality of that supreme position in verse 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That he is master. That he is ruler. That he is king. Jesus is king. We're going to go into this much more detailed tonight and and nice to come. And I really encourage you to come back if you can on Sunday nights because this is really wonderful stuff that we're unpacking. But Jesus Christ is going to reign on this earth. And he's going to reign over a kingdom. And everyone is going to bow to him. And everyone is going to confess that he is the master. He is the Lord. He is going to receive the exalted position. That is granted to him as the Father as a result of his displaying the image and character of God. God will be glorified through him. God is glorified through him. Through Jesus Christ, we see the glory of the Father. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and have you not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his works. Listen to these words of Hebrews one one: God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. He will be given a name which is above every name. For to which of the angels did he say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And then when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he said, And let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is in the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. Jesus is exalted to the honor and glory of God. But it doesn't stop there. Because he uses his exalted position to further not his own glory, but the glory of the Father. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's really a beautiful statement. First Corinthians 15, starting with verse 22. Here's this comparison of the first and second Adam. For as in Adam all die, also in Christ shall all be made alive. We're going to be unpacking that stuff on Sunday nights. I invite you to come back. And by the way, if you're coming tonight, bring a Bible. Uh, we often use handouts. I have a handout tonight, but we're going to look at a lot of scripture that's not on it. So it would be helpful for you to have a Bible with you. So 1 Corinthians 15:22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after they who are Christ at His coming. Then comes the end, when He delivers up the kingdom to God the Father. When He has abolished all rule and authority and power, for He must reign till He has put all His enemies under His feet. That's the millennial kingdom. The last enemy that will be dis- abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him, meaning the Father. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. Jesus uses his exalted position. To bring honor and glory to God. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God. There's going to be a time in which Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and he's going to reign. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is going to be praised, glorified in providing Jesus Christ. He is going to rule. In a proper manner. He is going to manifest on this earth. How authority should be used. He will cultivate. He will prosper. He will make great this earth. And at the same time preserve it and keep it from all evil. He will reign perfectly. He will accomplish everything that Adam failed in. And at the end of that millennial kingdom. There's the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus Christ hands the kingdom over to the Father. For he doesn't hold on to his position selfishly. But he rather gives of himself to glorify God the Father. We too. We too, because of Jesus Christ, are going to enjoy an exalted position in the future. We're going to reign with him in the Millennial Kingdom. All that's got to be unpacked, but we'll talk about it. We're going to reign with him. We're going to be exalted. And you know what else? We're going to get crowns. We're going to be rewarded. It's an amazing thought. That we're actually going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Servant. That's what's rewarded. Servanthood. That's what's rewarded. Humility. That's what's rewarded. Obedience. As we seek to be the vice regents in this world. As we seek to transform it. As we seek to cultivate it. As we seek to make it a better place. And preserve it from evil and sin. And corruption. As we serve the mind and will of God, we are going to be exalted. And we're going to receive crowns. Can't imagine that. Can't imagine an award given to us by Jesus Christ Himself. That's why the text says don't don't seek vain conceit. You want honor? Don't seek the honor that this world gives. Seek the honor that comes from God. No greater honor can be bestowed upon you. It's not going to matter, you know. This world's honor. When I was in high school, it was a big thing to receive a a a letter, you know, in sports. It's hard to believe, but I lettered in two different sports, and uh, so you know, I had the I had the sweater and I had the letter. And key word is had. Couldn't tell you today where it is. But you know what? It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing. There is actually no reward. An Olympic medal won't matter in the days to come. There is nothing that you can receive that is more blessed, most glorious, more exciting and to hear from the Father, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord and receive a crown. But that crown is not just for our own aggrandizement. It's not just for our own bliss. Did you know what you're going to do with that crown? Listen to the book of Revelation. The twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne And will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. There's transformation. There's full circle. Adam did not worship God who created all things. We are going to be so transformed that we're going to take this exalted position that we enjoy. This heavenly experience that Adam so desperately wanted. And that we are going to be able to share in, to be in the very presence of God, to have the angels around us. And to know no more pain and sorrow and a place of great bliss and actual praise and glory coming to us as crowns are handed to us. And we're going to take them. And we're going to acknowledge that they don't really belong to us. They belong to Him. You alone are worthy, O oh God. That fruit future reality is to impact the present. should impact us today. We should live our lives Without ambition. God, may you be glorified. Everything we do, we are to manifest the attitude of Jesus Christ. In our service, we're not to be self promoting. Philippians 2 3 do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. The example of Christ stands in stark contrast to empty glory, that nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, that each of you regard one another as more important than oneself, so our service is not to be self-centered. Do not merely, verse 4, look out on your own personal interests, but also on the interests of others. And in our service we'll be exalted, but to the honor and glory of God. Here are the words of how to apply this in the present day and age. Philippians, excuse me, 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not by compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, not for riches, not for wealth, not for honor, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Your younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. Today is the time for humility. Today is the time for service. Today is the time of looking out not for our own interests, but the interests of others. We won't have strife and division in the church if we have the attitude of Jesus Christ. And we will impact our world in a powerful way if we will take on that renewed commission of cultivating and keeping, making this world a better place and preserving it from sin and evil. May we impact the lives of others in adopting the attitude of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your grace and your goodness and all that you do and and. Have done in us and through us. And so, Lord, uh, we just give you the honor and praise once again, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In closing, if you don't mind.